0: Welcome to the InterCut Podcast, the weekly show going over the TV, movies, and entertainment that people can't cut away from. I am your co-host Zachary Shevich, and joining me, it's not TV; it's Arturo Zarita.
1: Uh, I'm excited to be here, Zach. Excited to have back for the second time, Taylor, talking about HBO and a bunch of other stuff. How you doing, man?
0: I'm doing well. Thanks for having me back. For sure. We're excited to be joined by Taylor J. Williams recently of uh, his return to YouTube, uh, also gracing (laughs) us with a talk about HBO and other things. We'll get into that as well as changes to the Academy Awards and Universal's. Uh, AMC, standoff with AMC. But first, we're going to make sure you are subscribed to the Intercut Podcast. Make sure you're subscribed to either the video podcast here on youtube.com slash intercutpod or the audio podcast available on most podcatchers. Also, follow Intercut on social media, whether it's Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. We are at intercutpod. That's at intercut, P-O-D, that's short for podcast art. Let's start the show the way we start it every week here with what we are watching What you been watching, buddy?
1: I think I have something that all three of us have been watching over on HBO. But uh, I have also been able to catch some horror movies now that I'm at home during the day. And I don't have to be too scared. Uh, Antrim was considered the deadliest horror movie. I don't know if you guys have heard about this at all. It's this uh, movie within a movie within a movie uh, that's talking about a 70s horror film that pretty much killed everybody who watched it. They submitted it to festivals and people died who had screened it so this is the movie that finally has found that copy and it's got a doc at the beginning and a doc at the end telling you what makes that movie the deadliest movie it's a fake mockumentary type thing Uh, but it's an interesting look at um like a a mock movie that was lost it would have been more effective if they actually did a blair witch thing which people realize it's way harder to do now with social media you know if they would have made the actors in the lost 70s film Actual actors who weren't in NCIS next week. Maybe it would be a little bit more believable. Uh, but it does this cool thing where it's pretty much breaking down that in horror movies, and I think this is beneficial to a lot of people who uh, uh, are like getting into dissecting film. This doesn't vary in your face, but it pretty much tells you that uh, you know, in in Aladdin, Genie's good because he's round, and cartoons that are very roundish are technically good. Whereas Jafar is very pointy, so because he's pointy, he's evil. Pretty much, they tell you. So the movie you just saw had 127 triangles. Triangles stimulate the mind for horror. And I was like, "Oh, this is an explained video at the end of the movie."
0: <laughs> so uh, for it's those like of you, it's like meta textual elements and self referential yeah, kind of stuff. Exactly.
1: You know, because it's all yeah. made by the same person. There's no lost film, but it's an interesting way of like trying to dissect horror within a horror that you created within the horror documentary that is also fictional. Uh, It's been getting a lot of buzz online. Like, it's one of the movies that I... Every single video I make, it keeps getting recommended. You'll watch Antrim, you'll watch Antrim. I have three more days before I realize whether this is the deadliest movie or not. So this may be the last Intercut podcast I do, but uh, I'm recommending it only if you're willing to risk it. It literally has a 10-second thing at the beginning. You are about to watch Antrim. 10, (laughs) 9, 8. So it commits to it... uh, but I would still give it a rent at uh, at the end of it. What I wouldn't give a rent it though, but you could stream in May, and I think is is worth the full combo. I haven't finished it yet, so you guys are going to finish the conversation for me. Oh. Betty on HBO.
0: All right, yeah, let's let's get into Betty, uh, the new HBO series premiering its first episode on Friday, May first. It's directed by Crystal Moselle, and it's kind of adapted from her 2017 feature debut. Mm-hmm. Uh, Skate kitchen. It has a lot of the same characters, even same character names. It's got the same basic group of actors, a uh, sort of modern look at uh, skate culture through this group of uh, high school, young, high school slash college age girls. They're around, I don't know, 18, 19 maybe. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, it's this kind of eclectic show that is very slice of life. Uh, what did you guys think of it? Taylor Jay Williams. We, we've seen. Uh, I should stipulate. We've seen six episodes. Taylor and I, uh, the full mm. first season. Art, you've seen a couple of them,
1: including Skate Kitchen. Uh, so it's interesting to see the parallels that both have. But yeah. what did you think, Ted? Yeah,
0: I, I watched the first episode
2: without having seen the movie, um, and then between the first and second episode, I decided to <laughs> you watch gonna the go movie watch it. The... For some it's reason, it's on Hulu, by the way. Yeah, and so it was. It was interesting. I was, I was, I I enjoyed the first episode, and then watching the movie, um, and then going back to the show, it was kind of weird seeing what they kind of had to repurpose. Um, they kind of shifted yeah. some of the character um, attributes around, like yeah. Jaden Smith's characters kind of split into two different characters in the series. <laughs> um, but the the thing that stood out to me in the movie was the... The editing style, and I thought the best parts of the movie were when there wasn't really any narrative going on, or if there mm-hmm. was, it was like cross-cutting with like three mm-hmm. different, just random times or whatever. Um, and so, it was and I'd cool say that
0: to... lack of narrative is also something that you feel in elements with of the show too.
2: Yeah, definitely, and there, it definitely feels like it was made for television. Like there are some. Like, each episode has, like, one or two essential plot points, but um, yeah, it's, like, so minimal that it still feels, uh, it still has the heart of the movie, I'd say. Um, it was, um, I, I think the movie was shot on film, and this is very clearly shot on digital. On digital. It mm-hmm. seems. So there's a little less intimacy, I guess, in the cinematography, but... Totally. It still has like that docu style um, with the editing,
1: mm-hmm. which I thought was. What you good had fun. mentioned was something I brought up to Zach because he loves also on Hulu uh, the Oscar winning right. It won the Oscar, right?
0: I think it only was nominated. Minding the Gap. Oh, it won oh, it in my heart. Minding yeah. the Gap,
1: yeah. So it's like those moments that you said where it's not really the the, the talking, but the cinematography. Uh, it rem- it took me back to that movie a lot, but like you said. I feel that the, while the movie, it's, like, it's got that mid-90s feel. These, these girls come together and you know, they're skateboarding. Uh, the show to me feels a lot like Broad City. Like you said, those little, those little plot points. You know, Now it's not just like, oh, we got to go get the thing from the skate park. It's while we're doing that, we run across a creepy old man who wants us to open the door, but this isn't even the house that he lives in. Uh, so it's like that's the way that they're fleshing it out a bit. Zach finished it as well. I'm curious because Zach and I always talk about this. Do you think, having seen the movie and now having seen the show, franchising an in indie, you know, the whole idea of sequelizing and expanding stuff, is it worth it? Did, did it merit it being turned into a show?
2: Well, it's, it's a little hard to say because it's become such a popular thing just in the past few years to make a show out of a movie. And I mean, stuff like, I don't know, Limitless, or I think... Shooter had a, a spin-off show. All these Rush like, Hour, the yeah, all, all these never shows. Show soon, those are like really weird because it's the same character dynamics, but it's like TV actors. So mm-hmm. it's like they're trying to do the same thing, but in a, a different canon, I guess. So I think this worked because it's the same cast and the same characters, and it's a little weird at first, like having them meet via like different circumstances and have different backgrounds than their characters in the movie but what i didn't realize until today actually was the the movie was originally a short film so there are three iterations
0: (laughs) right
1: there's five five oh
2: yes What, what are what are the other two
1: so pretty much, she met them. She, this is the, the director had also done the Wolfpack, which is a great movie also from Sundance. So just like those guys who she met in the streets of New York, she ended up meeting these girls in the subway, and they were talking about tampons. A scene that ends up making the uh, first movie. Yeah. Uh, because of that, they flourished. They 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 were originally supposed to be a part of a fashion ad, which was supposed to be like the twelfth in these ads. That ended up expanding into what was supposed to be a short. That ended up expanding into Sundance saying, "Nah, make this a feature." Which she then goes, okay, but I want to make a documentary along the way. And then HBO went, nah, you guys are doing really good. Let's make this a show. Wow, they're really... All of that to say, since Zach was telling me, they actually... Because uh, they are playing themselves. These are actually a group of girls who had their skate kitchen in New York. And Zach was telling me that the show... Because uh, I, I, I also think that it, it's a good adaptation in terms of not pulling a hangover too but actually using the money and resources to flesh them out. I think the actresses feel way more comfortable after having a movie premiere and doing the tour. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bizzak was telling me that they actually take some of the making of stuff and they kind of incorporate it into the show, like some of the elements on how they met with taking pictures, which I, I think is, is is a really cool thing to do.
0: Yeah, I mean, to circle back a bit to that idea of expanding uh, film into a television series. You know, I, I think ultimately what you have here is the is a vehicle for a good hangout, right? And mm-hmm. l- sometimes the thing that you want with TV is uh, being able to hang out with this group of characters, hang out in this world that you just kind of want to explore more of the, these surroundings. And HBO, I feel like, identified this film and Crystal Moselle uh, as potentially something that they wanted to I- expand. Similarly, and I, this comparison comes with a lot of baggage, I mean very minimally this comparison, uh, what they did when they took Lena Dunham and Tiny Furniture and expanded that into girls. I think mm, in, a, in a way, okay. this is almost an HBO attempt at getting a 2020 version of girls, These uh, this ecre- eclectic group of young women just kind of facing life in New York City with modern problems, and uh, it in a way, retrofitting it's without some of the problems that haunted that uh, the Lena Dunham show, but you take another indie uh, voice that you know, has only really made one one movie and you believe enough in her vision of that to kind of explore it through a series. And by the end of the first season of Betty, I did feel like it was getting that momentum. You kind of get the the group, uh, coming together again, and you feel uh, a direction for them to go in their uh, evolving talks about patriarchy and matriarchy. Uh, it's, it that makes me feel like there might be a decent future for this show that, uh, oh. as it expands, and hopefully people catch on to it.
1: Hey, it's HBO. They're doing it with Parasite. They successfully did it with Watchmen. Now they got this one. So yeah. if you're going to do a reboot, or not a reboot, but if you're going to reimagine it and continue it, please go to HBO. <laughs> please.
0: All right, so yeah, let us know about Betty when you guys get to catch it. Uh, there's some other stuff that we've been watching. Taylor, uh, anything that you've wanted to talk about?
2: Well, since I've been home, my parents have been, um, you know, dry for content. So I've been watching Ozark with them, which nice. it's been solid. I'm, like, on season two. I know season three just came mm. out, so I'm still yeah. getting into it. Um, Much better. I've also been watching re-watching Twin Peaks with my brother who got me into the show. He wants to watch um, the third season that came out in 2017. Mm-hmm. And so um, we're re-watching the original show and I'm showing him a couple David Lynch movies he hasn't seen to, you know, sort of contextualize season three. But um, <laughs> between that and school and getting back on YouTube, I haven't been able to watch what I've been trying to watch which is Mr. Robot, which I just started, oh. like, a week before I, I got evicted,
0: which is kind of <laughs> surreal
2: because, um, like, season one is mostly, like, East Village exteriors, which is pretty cool mm-hmm. to watch, just, like, hanging out. But then, like, it became really timely as I got into season two, because it's, like, New York in the wake of, like, some catastrophic event. They're selling, like, emergency kits at Walmart Businesses are closing down. Uh, we've got, like, these montages of the main character. He's, like, you know, in routine in a confined space. And so it's, like... And it obviously develops into something a little less relatable.
0: But yeah. it's still... But
1: you're trying to get an escape from the real world just to go to Mr. Robot. Yeah,
0: yeah. pretty much. I mean, That show has, in many ways, some of them, like, less fortunate than others, found oh, it to, season one. to be, like, a... A predictor of the future in very eerie ways. Yeah. Uh, didn't they also predict the the Ashley Madison thing? From the Ashley Madison thing to a reporter getting
1: shot, yeah. literal day before they were going to release that app, epi- like crazy yeah. stuff. That is, yeah, it's a crazy show.
2: Yeah. No, I've been like I, I knew it was good just from word of mouth and stuff, but for some reason I just never got around to watching it when it was airing, and mm-hmm. I. I kind of regret that because I'm really impressed with it so far Yeah, yeah. I'd imagine a that genius.
0: you're a big fan of the way that it's shot because it's a, such a striking show Yeah,
2: and it's not even like it's just the composition alone it's not like impressive mm-hmm. lighting setups or anything they just set the camera up in a really nice place with a lot of like one point perspective and headroom and that's mm-hmm. about all they do
1: <laughs> and it it works so well. Have you seen Comet? Also no. by him, he does that like he did that right before starting Mister Robot, and that's all he does is that headroom. That's all he does for the entirety of it. Um, I'm curious to know your thoughts on that one, uh, yeah. considering the framing that you were talking about.
0: I feel like you even get a bit of that style in Homecoming, his uh, anime, his, yeah, uh, Amazon series.
1: A little bit, yeah. I could definitely yeah. see that.
0: Alright, well, uh, as for what I've been watching, uh, I saw a bit of the Hulu and BBC 3 show, Normal People. The first episode is out now. There will be 12 in total. I've seen three, so I'm not that far into it. Uh, it's essentially the problems of being hot and horny in high school. Hmm. Uh I've never really been that much into romance as a genre. And this feels simple and without conflict, even for a romance series. But it's based on a popular book by Sally Rooney that apparently people love. I can't really tell why from the show. Like, I'm not charmed by the, the characters. And uh, frankly, it I makes me question uh, the director, Lenny Abramson, who uh, I, I've liked Frank and Room, his films before. Uh, but he, he hasn't really done much since being nominated for an Oscar for uh, yeah. Room. Uh, and th- he directs the first six of this 12-episode series, and I, I'm not taken uh, w- with the tone or, or the direction of it at all. Uh, I've been seeing some positive coverage of it, and I'm frankly a little bit baffled. So maybe tell me what I've been missing because I'm not seeing anything there. Interesting. Uh, and what? But, what's the song? Yeah, uh, it's on Hulu and for our uh, international friends it's on BBC three okay so, uh but something that I have watched more recently that I have been more taken with is uh deerskin it's the new film from uh Quinin Depew I don't know I'm not good with pronouncing French wild things. director I- I know him as Mr. Owizo, the uh, electronic artist, the, the EDM uh, musician. But he has made a few very interesting films. Rubber, probably the most popular of them. Uh, this latest one stars Jean Dujardin as well as Adèle Hanel, recently of Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's about a man who comes into possession of a deerskin jacket that he becomes obsessed with to the degree that he wants no other people to wear jackets. Uh it, it is as weird as that premise sounds. It gets pretty bizarre, but it has this kind of uh low like low-key uh style to it that I found very charming. Like it, it's a a little deadpan in its approach and it, the seriousness with which it, it takes its premise. Uh Taylor, I know you got to catch it as well. Were you uh, charmed by it?
2: Yeah, I was actually a big fan. I watched I didn't realize until like 20 or 30 minutes in when I looked on IMDb that he had directed Rubber. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, this makes a lot more sense. Yes. Because I saw Rubber not long after it came out. I was only, like, just getting into movies. And mm-hmm. I've been meaning to rewatch it because back then I thought it was just, like, the dumbest <laughs> thing. I think I'd probably appreciate it a little more now. But, um yeah, I, I was really impressed by Deerskin. I, um... At the beginning, I was a little, um... I I didn't love the look of it just because mm-hmm. it was so low contrast. I think they shot it on, like, Sony mirrorless cameras, probably on log, and it looks like they mm-hmm. didn't do any color grading whatsoever. Right. But um, I don't know if I just got used to it or if it just looked better as it went on. But um, I In thought a the, weird
0: way, it almost matches the tone of the film, well, that dry nature of the comedy. Yeah, and, and even, and- like the subject matter. Mm-hmm. Um,
2: I, I think, at least thematically, it's it's going for sort of a, a meta-commentary on filmmaking, which is always
1: Really? Have, have you guys seen... So I know him from Rubber, but the last movie I saw of his is one of those where I sat down, it ended, and I had no idea what I just watched. <laughs> reality, about a director who, like, need, is given, like, 48 hours to make something... I, I felt like I, I just... It started and ended. Watch that movie. It's got some of the craziest visuals as well. Uh, it's more bonkers than than rubber, in my opinion. So I haven't caught Deerskin yet. I think I played at TIFF in New York. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm curious to hear your thoughts. If you're saying that it's, like, about filmmaking, then I wonder what his movie about filmmaking actually says.
2: Yeah. It's one of those where it's, like... Some movies are kind of, like... They reach a level of, like being smart enough that it almost makes fun of the audience for trying to yeah. get meaning out of it. So I feel like he's definitely one of those people who could just turn around and be like, I don't know what you're talking about. I just <laughs> made a movie about a guy who likes jackets. But it's like, there's yeah, there's clearly, it. like, you know, the specifics of the plot are clearly, like, have parallels to the filmmaking process, especially That's for, like, art house films specifically.
1: I have to check this out immediately then.
0: Yeah, uh, a a very fun movie, a a strange one though, uh, maybe not for everybody, but if it sounds like your cup of tea, it's in virtual theaters this week. So uh, make sure to check out Screen as well. That's what we've been watching. Let us know what you've been watching in the YouTube comments or by shooting us an email. The address for that is intercutpod at gmail.com. We are going to move on to yay or nay, where we break down the latest happenings in entertainment, starting with the Academy Awards announcing a few rule changes, the most notable of which is that films that debut on VOD or streaming will be eligible for Best Picture for one year only as a response to movie theaters being closed across the country. We anticipated this coming a couple weeks back on Intercut, but what we didn't anticipate is that the Academy also announced that going forward, best the awards for Best Sound Mixing and Best Sound Editing would be combined into one category, Best Sound. This brings the total number of Oscars being televised from 24 to 23. Taylor, yay or nay, the combined Best Sound category is a good move for the Oscars. I'm gonna say nay on this one,
2: just 'cause so many aspects of film, even down to you know cinematography, have a lot of people um, working on it, and then mm-hmm. there's pretty much one or two names that get the award. Mm-hmm. Um, but at least with sound mixing and sound editing, you can separate it into sound mixing is a production job, and sound editing is a uh, you know a post job. Right, and so you know, even though there are departments within those two things, um, that it's it's already like there's a lot of politics separating them and stuff. Um, I, I feel like it, just the nature of them occurring in completely different stages of the production
1: mm-hmm.
2: should be enough to. And I know it's not one of the more popular categories. It don't so matter th- the fact that it's too like. I get it from like the Oscars are kind of scraping to continue at this point. Right. The yeah.
0: argument would be is that it's primarily very few people know the difference between these categories and uh sometimes you even get overlap with the same people being nominated in both categories. Uh we as film nerds, like we we care about this stuff and we like this. I think we'd like to see there be more Oscars, more categories, out, maybe not yeah. less. Uh, But, you know, as the Oscars has been trying to uh, get their telecast to be shorter and to end on time, you know, they've been looking for ways to sacrifice awards. And, uh, yeah, I I agree that it's pretty unfortunate they've chosen this one.
1: It's nasty because you have, like, a positive thing that's happening here, right? The one year only where the streaming and everything is available. But, you know, it's like when when government passes a law or they have something going on over here because they're really trying to pass something else. It's like you got rid of something that's... As Zach said, we've been wanting stunt categories. We've been wanting uh, casting categories, not taking away from people who deserve it. Uh, and that, that's a great point. I think so many people don't realize because every Oscar season we get the moment, the Twitter moment that lets us know the difference between the two. The fact that one is done months before the other practically, you know, they're, they're so differently, separately apart that the, something like that would happen. But in terms of the big one, one of the discussions Zach and I was were having is if this is a one-year-only thing with the streaming, right? and I don't know if you have a follow-up for that, Zach, Uh, do you think that movies will still want to compete for this year's Oscar season? Or will they want to hold off for the theatrical stuff next year? Because we all know New York, L.A. always gets that one movie right at the end to qualify for what? Nothing else but the Oscars. But that's open now. What are your thoughts?
0: Right. Uh, I think it will be interesting to see Uh, what ultimately ends up competing for next year's Oscars because you look at movies like Fast 9 that have moved to next year already. And yes, that's Mm -hmm. not exactly like a prime contender for Mm -hmm. anything but some technical awards. (laughs) But any movie that a studio has put a significant financial investment to, if they are worried about uh, whether or not they can make that money back this year, then we're we're ultimately going to be mm-hmm. uh, looking at a limited pool of what's ultimately considered for an Oscar. Uh, it might be like a bunch of indie movies, mid-major budget movies, and then Netflix uh, willing to drop $100 million on a thing that will only go on streaming. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it, it certainly could make for an interesting crop of nominees for this year's Oscars.
2: Have they laid I out do... criteria in terms of like... Because even before, it's not like it was just movies that played in theaters. It had to have like a mm-hmm. week long New York or LA run. Is there? So I
0: believe what they said is that the movie, within sixty days of its release, whether that's VOD or whatever, uh, has to be made available on the Academy's streaming website, their internal streaming website.
1: Hmm. Okay. So anyone could submit.
0: Yes. Yeah, th- theoretically. Can I submit ketchup? Theoretically, I don't know like if we can submit something. Like I, I don't, I wouldn't know who to ask. You know, but, like uh, that's that's interesting. Yeah.
1: Hmm. It'll be so interesting yeah. to see how it plays out. I, I, truly think that a lot of movies are going to shift over. I, I just think back to the South by thing. Hey, Amazon's going to do South by Online. Can't wait to see all the big mo- no, all the big movies said now nah, we're going to choose something else, and it's the Indies, yeah. which is great. So I think it's going to be a year where if the Oscars just don't decide to just completely banish it completely, uh, people have been put in the right in the front lawn sonic 2020 let's go (laughs) they want that to go all the way people want invisible man to go all the way so i think it's gonna be a really interesting year depending on on how all the deals happen for the fall festivals because as we know we are nowhere near oscar season yet that's still months away so there's a lot to still there's there's a lot to still play with
0: NBC Universal CEO Jeff Shell was interviewed this week by Wall Street Journal about Trolls World Tour's success on Premium VOD, saying the results for, Trolls, have for uh, Trolls World Tour have exceeded our expectations and demonstrated the viability of Premium Video on Demand. As soon as theaters reopen, we expect to release movies on both formats. Now AMC Theaters, the biggest theater chain in America, is saying they will no longer play films from Universal in any of their theaters. Citing the comments made by Jeff Shell, art yay or nay, other studios should feel threatened by AMC's stance on Universal.
2: I'm gonna I'm gonna say nay that they should feel threatened. <laughs> I
0: agree. I think
2: AMC's the the one losing here no matter what. Um and it's it doesn't seem like it's coming from a place of negotiation. I think it's more like if um, Universal is going to do that, it would be more cost-effective for them to just not screen a movie at all rather than pay the cost to screen it and have no one show up because they have the VOD option.
1: Taylor, Jay Williams of the Taylor J. Williams YouTube channel. I am going to play devil's advocate here and say... <laughs> You can't have a universal movie if it's not broadcast universally. Fast 9 ain't going to make the money Fast 7 did or Fast 8 did if you're not playing in the number one movie in America. Regal just followed suit. So what I would say as the theater system, and I don't agree, but if I'm the theater system, I'm using my last headbutt, my last chance here. And that's to tell you, as a studio, and a lot of people seem to not like, get how it works... But the big movies, they're all projects. It's 10 projects with, with like three of them being multi-million dollar stuff that will pay for all the indie stuff. If you take that away, it doesn't just change the landscape of theaters or streaming. It literally changes the budgets of movies.
2: That's true. I also think it's really weird that Trolls is the precedent <laughs> that this is all falling on.
1: Oh, you, what, How did it go, Zach? It went uh, big milestones. We had the jazz singer. <laughs> Trolls World Tour. (laughs) Wizard of Oz somewhere in there. The movies that Uh, change movies forever. It is crazy. I wouldn't have it any other way. You know? Of course. Why wouldn't it be Trolls?
0: Yeah. It it feels fitting that that Trolls World Tour is the movie that changes movies in 2020, I guess, uh, among all the crazy things that we're dealing with now. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, I, I mean, I kind of agree with what Taylor's saying here is that AMC is in a place of somewhat desperation. I mean, the last time that we heard about them, you know, kind of in a big news sense is that they are close to bankruptcy. And they they need – there is a viability to uh, the system that requires that these movies are not readily available so that people – feel their only option is to go to an AMC theater. Mm-hmm. Once that's taken away, like That's fabrication, they, yeah. they have even more insecurity and I I get why AMC is like existentially worried about any big movie going to vo- video on demand, but uh I I think you see through the success of trolls that has been reported about. Uh mm-hmm. there's, you know, if studios feel like they have a potential path to financial success through going on premium video on demand they'll take that path if that's the easiest path you know they have better uh revenue shares when they put it out yeah. on premium on demand than in theaters now people there are certain that. there are certain movies that kind of need to be in movie theaters but at the same time once the the next fast and furious movie comes out once Candyman comes mm-hmm. out there's no way AMC's going to turn down that kind of money they need people to come into movie theaters
1: don't you think it's just going to create a bigger shift in the studios of them doing what we've been saying? Indies go to streaming and only the big bluster, big blockbusters go out?
0: Well, uh, I think we have a pretty interesting experiment that in our next topic Universal Pictures announced that the upcoming Judd Apatow Pete Davidson movie The King of Staten Island which was set for theaters in June will now be going to VOD it follows the success of Universal's Trolls World Tour release which has reportedly earned a hundred million dollars after three weeks on VOD Art, yay or nay the King of Staten Island's VOD release will also be a financial success for Universal Uh, I'm I'd
1: say yay depending on the budget because I, I am one who believes that a lot of these movies will do better in in, in uh, these type of platforms because mm-hmm. they don't have to worry about that cut that you had just mentioned which many times goes 60, uh, 40. Sometimes it even goes 70, 30 if we're talking Disney movies over here. Uh, so for a movie like this to be able to get its independent release, already a South by flick that again ignored all the Amazon Prime and all, all the other digital festivals that were going on, I don't think it's good. Obviously, it's not going to do the Trolls numbers because we're forgetting that mm-hmm. Trolls, what they got going on is it's not available for purchase, and so parents have been renting and renting and renting and renting it. Renting it, renting it. Right. But uh, I, I think it's going to see the exact same amount that it would have if it was in theaters because it's an independent movie. And while that's a good thing for the independent movies, I think the independent movie makers always have a dream to be in theaters, and that's what's going to be stripped away here when Taylor. this is all said and done.
2: Yeah, I hadn't really considered the... The budgetary aspect of that, just because, like, the first I heard of this movie was the announcement that it was going to VOD. I didn't really? even know it okay. was a thing that existed. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, considering it's probably pretty low budget and they get a lot more of the revenue per <laughs> view, um, and also it's not the kind of movie that, like, you know, for instance, Trolls. It's the kids who want to see it, but in theaters the parents would still have to get tickets for themselves anyway. So it's really yeah. four-in-one. Most people, I think, that are going to be watching um, the the Judd Apatow movie are probably you know them, maybe one other person. So it's... <laughs> I don't really know how to calculate that, but... Um, right. I see
1: what you mean. I think a great point of you saying that you haven't heard of it is because it was supposed to premiere at South By. Mm. If it had that festival push word of mouth would have happened you would have been like oh that movie none of that happened so I think that's something studios are taking into account I've been saying that holding off your movie to then release everything at the same is not going to be possible for all these projects to be released Mm -hmm. and I think they took into account that they lost the entire word of mouth just like Lovebirds which went to Netflix and pretty much every South by movie has decided to release and not wait for theatrical stuff uh, because of that with before the VOD announcement you were like what the hell is that so it's almost like they—they they don't have a choice if they want to salvage some of these movies that had a time release, uh, especially yeah. a lot of them that have ads already in place, like right. like Trolls did.
0: I mean, I do think this is a bit of an experiment for Universal. They, they've mm-hmm. seen that uh, Trolls, a movie that has a built-in audience, it already—it's a sequel to a highly successful children's movie, and uh, it, it is also being released in a venue. Mm-hmm that makes it very easy for young children to watch, that feels like a worthwhile experiment. And we're seeing uh, Scoob, another children's movie recently, went straight to VOD because that feels like a viable audience. Uh, The audience for an R-rated Judd Apatow, Pete Davidson comedy, I don't know the viability of that. Like We've seen even Onward did very well when it went to video on demand, but we're not seeing... Uh, the the birds of praise, blood shots never rarely sometimes always is the, the the adult skewing stuff do quite as well on premium video on demand. Uh, the budget's lower, so hopefully it doesn't need to make up as much money. But yeah, I don't know if the the interest or the hunger is there. We we saw a good Pete Davidson movie, uh, big time adolescence, go to uh, streaming ooh. and not really get
1: that That's much. That's great point. That's a great point, and that's the guy who's supposed to bring in the money. Yeah, and like uh, like Taylor said, Trolls World Tour. That would have been eighty bucks in the theaters for my family. You're Mexican, one hundred and fifty. You watch it at home; it's twenty bucks. You're technically spending twice as much if you watch this movie at home alone.
0: Right.
2: Did you guys yeah. read that uh, Paul Schrader interview where he? I have Uh I don't remember what the the primary like what the headline was, but he basically, he's talking about, you know, production having like three days left to shoot of his film and virtual filming and that. But he talks about, he likens this whole situation to um, like a sports draft. And he basically sees this whole, this year's generation of filmmakers who were supposed to have their big break at festivals, rather than them having the option to postpone or seeing any success from this, he he thinks they're kind of fucked. And next generation, next year, the the same um, category of filmmaker, they're going to have their films and they're going to be newer and the uh-huh. upcoming whatever. And yeah. so he, it's like all
0: those seniors that are missing their graduation ceremony. Yeah.
2: What, what do you guys think? Do you think it's a whole generation of filmmakers who are just due to these unfortunate circumstances are kind of dumb. Having been to
1: a lot of film festivals, I would personally say no for... I can't, couldn't even give you the number. Because there is going to be people who... this They have tried everything for this shot. We know this. For this shot to get into South by. Cancelled. I do think the best filmmakers, not to whiplash it here, but uh, when we were at Sundance and we saw a movie um, called... Oh, uh, it was darkly something darkly uh, and she pretty much said I have been making movies for years and I would get accepted to the film festival up there but this is my first time down the mountain I think filmmakers who, whose movies didn't make it this year they're not going to stop making movies it sucks that they got halted but they'll be back in two years yeah. if you're not going to be back I- in two years you never stood a chance this year then but it does suck that people are missing their opportunities because they don't, won't have that word of mouth for South By, Cons, Tribeca
0: that being said, though, because so many things are being canceled and so many things are being delayed, uh, and that includes a lot of productions are being canceled. Uh, you know, next year's Sundance doesn't have the movies that are being that could have been oh, being made right yeah, now. we paused for three years, so I, I think ultimately a lot of these filmmakers will get their chance. It just may be delayed. Uh, and maybe there are a few people who slip through the cracks and uh, you know I think that's one of the things that I've been skeptical about with stuff like the online version of South by Southwest just will those filmmakers generate that kind of attention they could have at a real South by Southwest um, it's, will the people who are putting their movie out on VOD right now be kind of swallowed up and not get mm-hmm. that chance to build word, word of mouth in the same way it, it, Ultimately, I think the, the the good movies will emerge, but it's just a little bit harder to.
1: Those movies are done,
0: though. Yeah.
1: And we can't make more movies right now. Streaming services are getting bigger, and Netflix is the only one with completed stuff. <laughs> so all I'm hearing is there's a market. Taylor asked a question. There is an answer. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> We just went through the stuff coming out in May for yeah. everything but Netflix, and it's nowhere near close. So if there's content that's ready to be sold and could be marketed while everyone's at home, there is an option to do so. Whether they do it, I don't know. We'll see. Like he said, they keep pushing things back. So it's going to be interesting how things play out.
0: Did you have any thoughts on that, Taylor?
1: Um,
0: Yeah,
2: I think that's a good point Um, because the analogy Paul Schrader made kind of assumed that There'd be a whole, you know, next year everyone's going to have their films ready. But if production's halted, it's not yeah. exactly the same situation.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's not like a uh, an extraordinarily talented draft class is waiting in the wings to mm-hmm. take the attention away.
2: If anything, so. it's probably the people, the the indie filmmakers who are in production with people they could only get for a small window. Who are there probably you go. the most screwed
1: right now. There you go. Dude, think about having to redo all your location contracts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah you have no, to. No, that's do the, the whole... real part. Yeah. See, that's the yeah, that's the one right there that no one is talking about. Why are we worried about the completed yeah. films that could be marketed while nobody else is making them? It's the stuff On that the... can't be completed.
0: On the other hand, I heard an interview with Jason Blum recently talking about one of his films that's in production, and his director has now been able to go and take. Uh, two weeks worth of footage cut that and decide what his movie still needs and sort of rejigger some things in the interim so maybe it's going to be a a boon for some productions
1: (laughs) well that just sounds like studios not meddling and giving you the time to make the product you want (laughs)
0: All right, so I think that's about it for yay or nay news. Make sure to leave us a question in the YouTube comments or by emailing us at intercutpod at gmail.com to get it featured on the next show. You can also reach out to us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at intercutpod. We are at intercutpod on all three. Be, Be an intercutie and send us your movie, TV, and entertainment questions. We're getting into our topic of the week. It's HBO bracket time because HBO has been a destination for high quality programming. For Mm -hmm. years, they've developed a reputation for prestige shows and it's not just TV after all, it's HBO. So we brought on Taylor to help us determine the best of the best the best HBO show. We'll be posting our bracket later to Twitter if you want to follow along or fill out your own. Uh, The seeds here are organized from oldest show to newest one. Uh, But before we start and actually get into the bracket, I wanted to ask not what you guys think is the best HBO show, but when you hear that iconic HBO static intro, what show are you expecting to see after?
2: Lately for me, it's been The Sopranos. Um, I, I kind of put that on hold to start Mr. Robot, so I have like nice. a backlog. But um, yeah, recently it's it's definitely been that. What
0: you associate with it?
2: Yeah. And then I think I before think for... that, probably just Game of Thrones. <laughs> nice. I was
1: going to double up on that. I think for a lot of people who are binging Game of Thrones, <laughs> that's probably what they associate it with, especially because that's probably the one show everyone was watching live you know we talked about how that was probably the last big thing uh which is interesting now that we're all at home maybe there will be some other stuff that that ends up becoming that filling that void uh but everyone tuned in and saw it at the same time which i think was super special uh for me right now it's curb i hear and right afterward i hear bum 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 so yeah that's mine right now what about you
0: yeah that's that's the same for me. Just because Curb has been on the air for so long, I feel like I may have watched more episodes of Curb than any other mm. episodes of other HBO programming. I, I maybe that I'm misremembering sense. that, but uh, you know, it's it's been in our lives for 20 years now, so uh, it's a long time to associate it with that sound. All right, so uh, let's get started here. We're going to start with our 1 versus 32 matchup again, the oldest show on our bracket versus the newest show. Uh, Before we get there, though, some shows we eliminated because we, the three of us, haven't seen enough to necessarily do them justice in this bracket. A few others we eliminated because we just didn't think they were the 32 best HBO shows. Uh, But shout out to some of the ones that... I know we'll get mentioned, like True Blood, John Adams, Togetherness, Room 104, Ballers, uh, Vice Principals, Righteous Gemstones, Black Lady Sketch Show. You know, there's some of them that were too new. Some of them maybe we aren't old enough to have caught, like Arliss, uh, although I don't know if there's a lot of fans of Arliss out there. What? They didn't um,
1: make it in? <laughs> uh,
0: but we will talk about—let's talk about the ones that actually did make it into Aye. our bracket. Uh, first matchup is Oz versus Euphoria. Art, Uh, this is a show that was on when we were very young, uh, a show that was on maybe before Taylor was born. (laughs) Uh, uh, What are you going with in the Oz-Euphoria matchup?
1: Yeah, I know we're going from the oldest to the newest, and I love Euphoria. I think it is a perfect season. It is still ongoing, but people know my love for Euphoria. So you have to understand that when I say Oz, the first HBO original hour-long drama is a classic that should be up there. And it is to some people, but not to many when they think HBO. Uh, I think this should be one that's on more people's radar. And I think just off of the the three things that I'm going, quality, rewatchability, and just culturally, uh, Euphoria is new. And when we do this bracket again, it's going to destroy for me. But right now, I got to go Oz.
0: Taylor, do you have a preference between the two? Have you seen Oz? Yeah, I haven't seen
2: Oz. Um, That's fair. But... I mean, I I definitely understand it's like the first uh, quote-unquote HBO show, as we understand that now. And I liked Euphoria. I I wasn't maybe as blown away by it as Really? Ah. But, um, I mean, I I thought it was solid, but I don't see it quite paving the ground that Oz (laughs) did. Maybe there's no (laughs) ground left to pave like Oz paved. True.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Um, I, I might just lean with Euphoria here because I yeah, haven't seen it. enough of Oz. But uh, you know, that's they, maybe that's on us. Uh, we'll go with Euphoria just because r- some recency bias there. Yeah. This whole we've been first round of it in the past.
2: This whole first round is going to be a little tough for me. Just a warning. It's all <laughs> good.
0: That's totally fine. Uh, our next matchup is Girls versus Game of Thrones. Uh, not. Mm. Expecting a lot of defense for girls here.
1: Hey, I don't know. There's that one scene with Adam Driver getting all in. <laughs> I'm going Game of Thrones. Uh, like I said, uh, yeah. a lot of people always talk about the co- the coffee cups as if that's supposed to destroy me. Rewatching Battle of the Bastards. Oh, right, right. You can put three coffee cups in there. Uh, not the greatest finale. We get that. We know that. But everything that came before is six, and and prior to that, come on.
2: Yeah. Same for you, uh, Taylor, Zach. But- yeah, I, I've only seen a few episodes of Girls. Um, I didn't. I, I'd like to rewatch it and, like, properly get into it. I don't yeah. think I really gave it the time I should have, but it's really hard to pit that against Game of Thrones, right. which was I, the cultural epicenter of the decade.
0: Yeah, I think Girls sometimes is unfairly uh, maligned, and there are some. Genuinely great episodes of it, but Game of Thrones was a phenomena, so it mm-hmm. advances here. Our next matchup is Deadwood versus High Maintenance. Now, Deadwood is thought of to be one of the great HBO dramas, the David Milch-written western, uh, very raunchly uh, dialogued. But we're talking about High Maintenance, this is one of my, my favorite HBO shows, the anthology series of sorts uh, that gives you different characters in each episode. All interconnected in a loose way. Uh, I, you know where I'm going. Art, how about you? Mm,
1: I'm going Deadwood.
0: Oof. Tell me why.
1: Well, I think uh, quality-wise, it. I, I was like, oh no, there's a better Western. Show. No, there's not. <laughs> there's not. You know. And when I couldn't answer that, that's when I can. And, and I love high maintenance. Plus, I also want to see what
0: Taylor says.
2: <laughs> you don't want to I've only seen a couple <laughs> episodes of High Maintenance and I haven't seen Deadwood so oh, I really okay.
0: I think that's a vote for High Maintenance I
2: really though. don't feel hey, good about building uh, either I way.
1: will say that Deadwood uh, to this day, you know, they just made a movie to it so I think that's definitely one of the ones that it, it has the rewatchability to it but of, of course I'm going because I'm more biased towards High Maintenance don't get me wrong but according to my three criteria it would be Deadwood but I do not mind High Maintenance going higher <laughs>
0: Uh, Our next matchup: Insecure versus The Wire. Another just unfair first-round matchup. A lot of people love Insecure. Uh, Insecure, Uh, It is a great show. Fantastic. Uh, You know Issa Rae is has been a breakout star from it, but uh, we're talking about the great American novel as a TV series. Uh, Um, I don't expect. What was that article that said
1: uh, Insecure was better than Breaking Bad? I don't think that's articles out there. Don't exist. But the one for The Wire does. So it's got to be The Wire absolutely (laughs) all the way. Uh,
0: This next matchup is the one that really is breaking my heart in the first round. Curb Your Enthusiasm versus Succession. Uh, Taylor, have you seen either of these? Uh, I've seen
2: some episodes of Curb. I haven't seen any Succession. So, I mean.
0: So not strong either way here? Yeah. I like Curb Curb. a lot from what I've seen. Curb. Zach was talking about how Curb's
1: been with us for 20 years. I just started watching it last month. These guys have always told me to catch this show. They're like, "Bro, it's going to be you when you're older." I was like, "Wait, all right, let's see." That this is me right now practically. The, the stuff that this man complains about is been out for 20 years. I've seen it from I feel like I've been with this man throughout this entire quarantine. It's the only thing that's keeping me sane. So, Curb all the way.
0: It's funny because they're such opposite shows in in the way they deliver their comedy, uh, Curb through the improvised <inaudible> and hilarious <inaudible> antics of Larry David. Succession through the just the most sharply written punchlines and, and devastating insults. Easily, um, I I love Succession. I I am gonna go Succession, but I've been outvoted here.
1: How dare you? You're telling me Succession has. Well, it does have a great theme. Push it, push it yes. raft over it. <laughs> Never mind. But the endings, dude. Every single ending of Curb is just, is great. Yeah. And then, yeah. Zach, you got to mention... Well, no, we'll mention it since it won later. I got some other stuff for Curb to say, but we'll save it. Uh,
0: a matchup of iconic HBO comedy Silicon Valley versus Eastbound and Down. I personally am more into the uh, uh, satire of... Tech culture, than the vulgar vulgarities of uh, Danny McBride. So I'm going Silicon Valley here.
1: Silicon Valley. I'll go Silicon Valley
0: as well. <laughs> Why not? Uh, then how to make it in America versus True Detective. Art, you wanted How to Make America on this list. Uh, yeah, go I think I had also said I.
1: Didn't want it against True <laughs> Detective. Uh, How to Make It in America is a cute show. Uh, and it stars Kit Cuddy. And I remember watching it not even knowing that it was like a, again, I didn't know what HBO was. It was like, oh, this is quality television. I was just like, yo, this is the rapper in a show. <laughs> you know, this is, this is during the time where Drake was also, you know, we're looking back at him being in Degrassi. And out of all those performances, I was like, nah, this, this guy was like actually acting and stuff. And he would go on to do Need for Speed and whatever else afterwards. But I think it's a decent show. True Detective season one's a masterpiece. Masterpiece.
0: Yeah. Um, I think we're going to go True Detective here. Uh, the next matchup, another one that pains me to see, is Barry versus The Sopranos. Taylor, you were just saying that you've been watching s- some Sopranos. Yeah. Uh, is, so, that, is that the way you're leaning here?
2: I, I'm going to have to, and I really like Barry. I watched both seasons in one day, and I was so good. a lot more impressed by it. ...than I expected it to be... Um, ...but... ...and I'm only two seasons into The Sopranos... ...but it's still... ...there's there's something about Barry... ...that feels a little more... J- ...just the way it's made... ...it, it feels a little less... Uh, ...realized... ...than The Sopranos... ...I don't know exactly how to... ...articulate what I'm getting at here... ...but just... ...the, the way every episode is structured... ...in The Sopranos... Is like you're, you're you're tuning into something like like each episode is like a full course meal, mm. whereas Barry, I feel like, mm. I feel like season by season you can, kind of breeze through without even realizing, you've seen a season, which is why I like it a lot. But I have to hand it to The Sopranos on this one. Yeah, same
1: for The Sopranos.
0: Yeah, uh, Sopranos is a is a legacy show. There's a reason they call it uh, basically like the start of the golden era of TV. I, I mean, I kind of want to go Barry because I love Barry, but I know I'd be wrong. It's The Sopranos.
1: Hey, Barry in a couple years. Remember, this bracket changes in a couple of years easily. Yeah.
0: yeah. The Larry Sanders Show versus Watchmen. Taylor, I know you uh, were a fan of Watchmen, right? Yeah, I, I liked it a good amount. I haven't seen Larry Sanders.
1: <laughs> Yo. Okay, let me get my piece for Larry Sanders. Yo, Larry Sanders was ahead of its time. When this man passed, like, I went back to see a couple of the episodes. Had. All of the, a lot of the sketch comedy shows that we have now, they come All from this them. man. This man All was breaking so many things of, like, just a meta culture of, like, being able to have somebody who's in a major production, and now they're playing themselves within the show, and he's like, I'm going to have to go, Larry. Larry Sanders.
0: Okay, I wasn't expecting you to do that. I am definitely going Larry Sanders here. It is so funny Uh, just in in the way that it does this sort of meta uh, analysis of celebrity and it has all these people showing up as subversions of their real selves. I mean, uh, the comedy is just so much at the root of the way that – Our our modern comedy is that just some of the awkwardness and and ticks of Larry's behavior in this. uh, It's a show that more more people need to watch because I feel like it gets left off of those the greatest HBO show ever lists. Dude, I I love Watchmen, but
1: you do you watch it three times? Uh, Three (laughs) times. But this thing has aged beautifully. Like I said, you go back and it it still works. It works just as great as when you go back. You go back and watch season one Curb. Like all of it, just it works so smoothly.
0: So that one's Larry Sanders' uh the Leftovers versus Boardwalk Empire. This is actually one where I feel like I haven't watched enough of either. I've checked out a couple episodes the first seasons both. But uh Art, where do you where do you feel uh on this matchup?
1: I'm really tied between the two, but I might have to go leftovers. Really? Mm-hmm.
0: the Damon Lindelof show that is not Watchmen.
1: No. <laughs> and don't get me wrong, If if, if uh, have you seen Boardwalk? Me? Taylor? No, I yes. haven't seen either. Oh, you haven't seen Leftovers <laughs> either. Uh, between you, Zach, then, uh, out of the two, at least for the most that you've seen, I think that, because Leftovers went, I think, three seasons, maybe four, uh, whereas Boardwalk, much more expansive for what it is. Uh, I love all of the actors that came out of there. But I think one gives better emotional performances. Uh, and I think has a better finale.
0: Yeah, I mean, I've heard amazing things about The Leftovers. Uh, so there are people who talk about that among the great HBO shows. Uh, and unfortunately, I've only seen bits from the first season. I've heard it get so much better as it progresses. But... Uh, Watchmen yeah, was my
2: first Lindelof show, so I was like, oh, this is oh. cool, I'm sold. But I, <laughs> I did have some problems with the ending, but I've heard The Leftovers is like... Primo. Yeah, pre- pretty much the, the same Speaking quality, of, but sticks the landing.
1: Now that you've learned of our Lord Lindelof, have you heard of Lost? <laughs>
2: yeah, I've, I've heard about it here and there.
1: <laughs>
0: that's that's a whole other rewatch. Uh, but yeah, I feel like... People don't talk about Boardwalk Empire with that same type of reference. Yeah. So we'll go leftovers here. Uh, a weird matchup, Flight of the Concords versus The Night Of. I told Art to go back and watch some Flight of the Concords for mm-hmm. this because uh, you get, this is kind of my introduction to like Jermaine Clement and uh, Taika Waititi directed some of this. It, it's got that quirky humor uh, that he's become very known for. Uh, Night Of, on the other hand, is just like a stark drama, uh, just uh, exploring like a possible worst case scenario uh, Art do you want to go one or the other here?
1: Believe it or not had not seen any of these before this thing went in Flight of the Concords <laughs> if we're talking about a show uh, I, 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 I don't love it but I respect it these are guys yeah. who made something out of nothing it's a beautiful ending it's only mm-hmm. two seasons. What, what a great beginning, middle end. It's quirky. Uh, you had mentioned that this Taika had, had, uh, fil- had directed a couple of the episodes. Um, and I really feel like this was a jumping off point. These guys used HBO, went on and created crazy other stuff. The Night mm-hmm. Of is great. We are going to see better versions of podcasts like procedurals being turned into, into miniseries. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so I'll leave it there. Poor Riz Ahmed. You know, you would have thought that that would have... You know, poor Riz Ahmed. Right. Had Star Wars and that. You know, like, that's yeah. how you know. <laughs> this thing was shot on DV cameras, and they went out to do Ragnarok, and who knows what else.
0: Yeah, Night Of feels like it belongs to a genre or a type of show. Mm-hmm. Uh, Flight of the Concords feels somewhat singular in, in its type of comedy, so, yeah, yeah I, I'm happy to go Flight of the Concords here.
2: I haven't seen Night Of, but I'm pretty ride-or-die Flight of the Concords, so... Wow!
1: Awesome! Okay. No complaints Almost, uh, there. Okay. Dope. Uh, that'll be an interesting second round.
0: Uh, the Battle of Miniseries, or maybe not so series: Big Little Lies versus Band of Brothers. Taylor, do you have a uh, leaning in this category? Um, Genre-wise,
2: I'm probably more inclined to go with Big Little Lies, but I, I might just have to hand it to Band of Brothers, because Band of Brothers knew to keep it a miniseries. Or big little Lies
1: did not. <laughs> I'm not gonna say anything else. Thank you, Taylor. Thank all you, right. Band of Brothers.
0: We're going Band of Brothers with that matchup. Uh, the next is the is Six Feet Under versus the Young Pope slash the New Pope. Hmm. <laughs> uh, for me, I, I go Six Feet Under here. I'm so, I, I love that show. Uh, I think it's got one of the great series finales of all time, and just its ruminations on mortality and uh it, it feels so rare in the tv landscape uh it's a show that you know it makes you feel very alive and uh, it's got some beautiful character uh, observations as well as uh just a unique sense of humor and just the way that it would structure its episodes too uh just builds in so much tension from the very beginning. I, I really love Six Feet Under. It's a show that I've wanted to revisit for a while because I burned through that series uh, a while ago and it became immediately became one of my favorites. Uh, what about you guys?
1: This would be the only matchup that I have not seen either for All in right. this entire okay. bracket. Uh, I know of both. Uh, and between, you went for which one? Six Feet Under. I have worked on three videos in this past year where the actors have talked about the director told me to watch Six Feet Under and be <laughs> that character. So, out of the two, I don't think anyone's going, yeah, I'm going to need you to watch The Young Pope. <laughs> i need you to watch The Young Pope and come in and imitate that performance. Um, still going to binge both of them, but to be completely honest with you, uh, Six Feet Under, I didn't even want to rush it Yeah. before watching this. That is literally, because that's the one with Jared Leto, right? When they still liked Jared Leto.
2: I don't think. I don't Jerry for, I'm, I'm thinking a completely
1: different. Where's your little in? Is he not in this one? No. All right, then I'm thinking a completely different show. Then never mind. <laughs> Take away everything that I've said, but I'd probably still go six feet under between the two of them.
2: Yeah, I haven't seen The Young Pope, but um, Six Feet Under was uh, probably my first or second HBO show, so it was a very formative. It's very formative in my relationship with HBO.
0: So. Alright, so we'll go six feet under there I'm happy for that to advance The next matchup is Westworld versus Entourage uh, Two shows that have alternately been adored and uh, ridiculed Depending on their different uh, arcs and seasons Uh, Art, which one do you go with here? Westworld Yeah Uh, It's a much more ambitious show, certainly
1: Yeah, well, we can say Entourage
2: I'm not going to say Entourage. I, I've seen all of Entourage and only the first season and then the first episode of season two for Westworld, so I haven't gotten to the the very um, polarizing aspects of the show yet. Yeah. But, um, I mean, based on season one alone, I'd still pick it over Entourage.
0: Yeah, I mean, Entourage is a show that I've spent a lot of time with, but I still can't really get myself to vote for it here you know interesting Uh, so I'll I'll go with Westworld as well
2: and to Entourage's Uh, credit I think it's one of those shows that people call it problematic for aspects that within the show are supposed to be like pointing out problematic things to an extent of course
1: like calling out Curb
0: (laughs) it was it's funny with Entourage because it began sort of as a parody of Hollywood and then kind of became a parody of itself yeah by the end Um, yeah yeah uh enlightened versus veep art uh i know you checked out a little bit of enlightened before this bracket
1: yeah those i I only saw a couple of episodes same with veep because i haven't finished all of veep either Mm um i'm kind of indifferent to both Mm -hmm. but if i'm going off of my three the sweeps that veep has done when has that not appeared in the emmys
0: Right. It, it certainly is a much more lauded show uh, mm-hmm. and celebrated show, even though Enlightened is definitely a kind of cult comedy classic in a way. Uh, and the Laura Dern performance at the center of it, I think, it gets ignored in this recent uh, adulation of Laura Dern. But uh, yeah, Ve- Veep is certainly the more iconic of the two shows.
1: And I just got to the Curb episode <laughs> where, where she's trying to find a home for her new show and they're like, HBO's pretty good. <laughs> so that's hilarious.
0: Uh, our last matchup of the first round is sex and the city versus Chernobyl. Taylor, are you going to go sex in the city here?
2: Unfortunately, I have not seen sex in the city. <laughs> if I had, I don't know how I would begin to compare the two. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, I've seen a bit of sex in the city. I mean, to say that I'm not the demographic is probably like an understatement at least, but, uh, Chernobyl was such a gripping series that I'm, I'm, Happy to go with it here.
1: Miranda and girls.
0: (laughs) All right, so uh, moving on to our second round, we have Euphoria versus Game of Thrones. And again, as much as I think uh, some of us are are fans of what Euphoria's first season has done, uh, we have a large catalog of Game of Thrones to draw from. Uh, High Maintenance versus The Wire. I, you know, I, I love... High maintenance. It's really, really hard for me to vote against it in any category. Uh, But going up against The Wire, I I think I'd be a little bit ridiculous to vote for high maintenance. The Wire. Yeah. Uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm versus Silicon Valley Art, which is the superior HBO comedy. Curb. I think I would go with Curb as well. Uh, Taylor, in your, your limited watchings, would you say to Curb as well?
2: Yeah, I've only seen a handful of episodes of Curb, and I've seen a few seasons of Silicon Valley. I'm not <laughs> like a all lot. the way through it, but I still got to hand it to Curb on this one.
1: That's literally the best way to, to – to, and I love Silicon Valley. I love yeah. everything about Silicon Valley. The whole concept of don't sell what you have to give and keep it for yourself and build it with your people. Curb in two episodes. <laughs> <It's Right>. Sheesh. <laughs> sheesh.
0: Uh, True Detective versus The Sopranos. Taylor, does True Detective's masterful first season do enough to win it out over The Sopranos? I've
2: seen two seasons of each. One has a far <laughs> superior second season to the other. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Gotta give it to
1: The Sopranos. Sopranos.
0: Sopranos. Uh, the Larry Sanders Show versus The Leftovers. Uh Art. I think I'm going to go Larry Sanders here, but you've seen more of both uh, or more of leftovers at least. So,
1: Oh, see. So I had told you that out of quality rewatchability and culturally Larry Sanders does more. Yeah. I would say just off of I- the comment. I don't know how many times I want to sit back and go like, yo, you don't want to really feel like watching today during this world. 2% of the population disappeared. <laughs> Not that that doesn't take away from the quality. I would say that the, it, right. it, it probably beats, uh, Leftovers beats Larry in quality, probably, but in rewatchability and even culturally. I don't think Leftovers <laughs> pushed people to be like, oh my gosh, people disappearing. like People are going to say Endgame or who knows whatever right. else. Uh, but what Larry's saying, like we did, we don't think it's respected enough for mm-hmm. what it's set up that has been imitated throughout everywhere you know people uh, will attribute what they do to something else not realizing that that's something else got it from Larry Sanders
0: so exactly, Larry Sanders exactly our next matchup is Flight of the Concords versus Band of Brothers Taylor uh, what are some of the similarities you think between these
2: well, two the, shows? the similarities <laughs> they are HBO productions
0: <laughs> they are from uh, this century <laughs> yeah
2: um, yeah, hard as it is to compare, um, <laughs> I, I, I think I'm going to go with Flight of the Conchords. As awesome. As powerful as uh, Band of Brothers can be. Um, I don't know. Maybe Flight of the Concords is just a little more what I feel like watching
1: <laughs> most often. I can't disagree with that. Yeah. Because I get it. I get the love for Flight. Like, I begrudgingly was like, oh, just watch this. And they get you with the ending. Band of Brothers, my dude. <laughs> that is a miniseries. Like when I think miniseries, I think that. Yeah, no, it, really it was is a given to me in, in in DVDs, like like ripped DVDs, <laughs> and we were like sharing it throughout our group. Uh, but before we do have HBO now or go or any of that. So Zach,
0: uh, Art, when you think miniseries, you think Band of Brothers. When I think comedy, I think about the hip hop anonymous, hip hop otomus. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to go Flight of the Concords here It just uh, I don't know like, It's such an idiosyncratic show I, I really uh, love the, I, I just It's so funny to me I, There's so many different bits that I can recall And I just think uh, My ability to recall specifics around Flight of the Concords Is, is so much uh, More is So much greater than my ability to recall specifics around Band of Brothers Maybe Band of Brothers gets Sort of w- Mixed in with all the other uh, war dramas I've seen, like *The it, Pacific*
1: so. and everything else that came after it. Well, cool. Best thing about *Band of Brothers* is I say goodbye to it, rewatch it, in any of the episodes, and be like, what's the meme that's going on right with uh, Leo?" You'll recognize so many actors. Yeah. That ended up being massive. From like, I think Tom Hardy was in there. To uh, what's his name from *Split*, *X-Men*, all that, uh, uh *Atonement*. James what's his name? McAvoy. McAvoy, like, there's so many young actors that were in that. So uh, for that Absolutely. alone, if you if you haven't given it a rewatch, even if you've seen it, go back to it and be like, wow, that person was in there. So <laughs> uh,
0: six <laughs> Goodbye, feet man. under versus Westworld. Uh, Taylor, you you said that six feet under was one of your first HBO shows. Yeah,
2: I definitely have to go six feet under on on this one, even though I haven't seen um, most, I guess, at this point of Westworld. Um, I mean, I couldn't stop watching Six Feet Under, Yeah, even though yeah. all of it had been out. But, um, yeah, it's, yeah, I, I don't know what else to say. Got to hand it to Six, no, Six I, Feet Under.
0: I would totally go with Six Feet Under, too. I just it, like you said, I think it's just a harder show to put down. Uh, Westworld can sometimes feel like homework, yeah. <laughs> occasionally. Uh, wow. And maybe you, don't, you haven't gotten to that point in the show yet, but uh, I, I was riveted throughout Six Feet Under.
1: I don't know, Six Feet Under. I thought it was my so-called life, so don't go.
0: (laughs) Uh, Veep versus Chernobyl. Again, very different shows here. Uh, But I think we all have spent more time uh, admiring Chernobyl. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I haven't
2: even seen Veep, so it's hard for me to say. (laughs) But, you know, I gave Chernobyl the top rating on my channel, so. Wow.
1: Hard hard, hard to beat that.
2: Hey,
1: yeah, I mean, it's the highest rated... uh, one of the highest-rated IMDb. things on, on IMDb, yeah, Letterbox, swept the Emmys, the uh, <laughs> everything. Yeah, oh yeah. I mean, really, <laughs> when you look at it, this thing and Craig Mazin has killed every aspect of distributing the show from a complimentary podcast to go with it. <laughs> it it's honestly, I feel like I'm not done watching Chernobyl because I haven't done my video on it yet. I, I, yeah. I feel like there's just so much that it's covering, and then it becomes <laughs> scarier. <laughs> when we came into 2020.
0: Right. So, yeah. All right. So we are in the Elite Eight here. Uh, only good shows pretty much from this point out. The best of the best. Starting with Game of Thrones versus The Wire. Uh, the biggest HBO show ever versus the one that's probably the most critically acclaimed. Two shows that are somewhat maligned for their last season, uh, although in very different ways, mm-hmm. are which one are you going to go with here? The Wire. Obviously, yeah. Uh, uh, do we have any defense for Game of Thrones here? I, I feel like somebody watching this video will be outraged. but
1: I've got one. Remember when we talked about how things can't make millions of dollars at home? <laughs>
0: <laughs> you got a point there. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, Game of Thrones had the monoculture belt for a while, but mm-hmm. uh, ultimately what I value when we're talking about uh this best hbo show bracket is is the quality aspect right and just like uh the, the the amount that the wire has gotten me to to think more deeply about the the world around me the way in which it's reflected uh real world problems in a way that a fantasy show can't i mean i i am inclined towards a show that's more like the wire than game of thrones but i also just think the wire is uniquely brilliant
1: Mm-hmm. And it's not to take away from the crazy stuff that Game of Thrones did. These battles that will test there's better than some of the stuff that came out cinematically. Shout
0: out the Red Wedding.
1: Yeah, so but The Wire uh, had an ending.
0: Uh, Taylor, you you yeah. feel also that I, we should go to The Wire here.
2: I haven't seen The Wire, but oh, as <laughs> as someone who's only seen Game of Thrones, I do think it's for as great as a lot of the moments in season six were, I do think it started to drop off as early as season five. And so when literally half the seasons of a show aren't up to, you know, the
0: par established by the first half.
2: Yeah. I don't know.
0: Our next matchup is Curb Your Enthusiasm versus The Sopranos. Uh, Art, which way do you lean here?
1: Okay. One's got... Quality for sure, but the other one has rewatchability. So culturally, it has to come down to the biggest one, which is Sopranos.
0: I see your argument there. Although all three could maybe go either way, um, but yeah, yeah. To, to me, but... I, I think I would agree with you too. I mean, you Sopranos know? has had such a lasting impact on uh, the way we make and consume television. I feel like
1: literally I feel it's when we started saying it's what got HBO to." It, it's the reason why we disrespected Oz <laughs> because they, they treated this like it was the first one this is when they really went like yo we are not TV we are HBO and it took them 20 years to finally get to the streaming age where we're making a when they see us and HBO still making Chernobyl so like yeah it, it this is the alpha it's Oz but this is the alpha to many people <laughs> And even in terms Absolutely. of rewatchability,
2: um, like my roommate who had seen the whole show would sit down and watch Sopranos episodes with
1: me. For sure.
2: So you know. Yeah.
0: That's something totally. as well. Yeah. Uh Larry Sanders versus Flight of the Concords, another HBO comedy clash uh Taylor. What what is it about Flight of the Concords that you uh think it deserves to maybe go all the way?
2: Um well you guys have made a strong case for larry sanders and i'll I'll check it out as soon as i can at this point um but flight of the concords isn't even like it's not that there's any like specific thing about it that puts it above the rest i i think it's just every episode is so consistently funny Mm -hmm. and um you know even the music is like because I'm pretty sure they wrote the episodes To contextualize the songs
0: Yeah, a lot of the songs predate the series Yeah,
2: which I think is a pretty neat way of writing a series um, Yeah I don't know, I was I, I was never less than enthralled by Flight of the Concords.
0: Totally
1: That's what uh, and- I want the review to be for the 4K I was never less than enthralled <laughs> Taylor J. Williams
0: there we go and and those are all great arguments that i agree with as well but uh as i've talked about i just have such a deep adoration for the larry sanders show uh so that's my vote i'm guessing that's art's vote as well Mm -hmm. and then our last round of eight matchup is between six feet under and chernobyl taylor which way do you vote in that matchup
2: this has probably been the toughest one yet um I think I have to hand it to Six Feet Under, though. I, I think Chernobyl was wow. the the best thing that could have been, been made out of it. Um, <laughs> I mean, it, it really... I, I think it... Obviously, it just came out, so it's hard to say what influence it'll have over mm-hmm. miniseries moving forward. But I really do think it has paved some new ground. And it was so uh, prescient just in terms of what we're going through right now and how things are being managed and the idea that sure, they're catastrophic accidents but the way we manage them is a lot more uh, crucial to the damage done Absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. at the same time Six Feet Under is really just one I don't know, it, the way I guess the magic realist aspects of it um the fantasies and and visions and stuff that characters have. Um, You know, at face value, it's just a regular drama with people dealing with relationships, but it really does tap into something a lot more spiritual, and I Mm -hmm. think that's why it's it's one of the best. I'm going to go with Six Feet Under for this round.
0: Absolutely, yeah. Uh, There's not a lot of drama that really wants to tackle mortality and sort of the idea of like how to deal with death and, and the way that six feet under does so brazenly and boldly and uh, really so captivating and emotionally honest. I think uh, it's strange that in all this time, there's no other show that's been quite like it. Yeah. So I, I totally agree. I, I'm going to go with six feet under here. Art, Chernobyl. Uh, you want to say you're, you're bad at Chernobyl?
1: Um, When they see us should have won the Emmy
0: <laughs> So in our semifinals We've got The Wire Versus The Sopranos And The Larry Sanders Show Versus Six Feet Under Let's start with uh, the Hotly debated Question of what's the Best HBO drama ever It tends to come down to The Wire Versus The Sopranos and we've got that matchup uh, Neatly aligned for us here <laughs> Art, which way do you go? The Wire. Any reason you choose The Wire over The Sopranos?
1: Yeah, I think because if we ended this podcast with just cutting to black, no one would agree.
0: <laughs> Some people don't like that last season of The Wire.
1: Some people don't like that last nothing of The Sopranos.
0: <laughs> okay. okay. Uh, and uh, Taylor, you said you haven't seen The Wire, so yeah. I'm guessing you so. feel like this one should be The Sopranos. Uh, Perfect. If I'm the tiebreaker, then Perfect. I, I gotta go The Wire as well. Hey! Why, Zach? Why do you hate The Sopranos? <laughs> <laughs> um, I, You know, I, I tend to revert to talking about how unique things are, but again, <laughs> in the way that The Wire uh, sort of resets itself in each season and becomes about something new while maintaining Uh, A narrative momentum and and further fleshing out its world is just so uh, effective in giving you a picture of uh, this Baltimore, this this Baltimore world. I don't know. Uh, I got to go to the wire. Uh, So we're picking the wire. First of our finalists, it's going to go up against the Larry Sanders show versus six feet under. Uh, Taylor, you spoke really eloquently about what you liked about Six Feet Under. Uh, Art, you've also talked a lot about why you feel Larry Sanders is really influential. Uh, I think this puts me in a very difficult position as a big fan of both of these shows. Uh, I don't know. Do do you guys want to sway me?
2: I mean, I I don't really have any. uh, (laughs) I don't know. I haven't seen Larry Sanders. Yeah. But I'm. Of course, ride or die six feet under. Um,
1: I would say between them, Zach, judging by quality, rewatchability, and culturally in the arts, what stands out to you? Because it's going to have to go up against the wire. So maybe you're probably just picking the second best favorite (laughs) HBO show.
0: Right. And and if I got to pick that way, then... The one that I have been more tempted to revisit, rewatchability being one of your standards here, is the Larry Sanders show. Uh, Really?
1: Whoa! Yeah.
0: uh, There's just all these different bits that I I remember uh, that I feel reminded of when I watch more modern comedies. Uh, that I I try to go back and watch with the show. I, I really do think it's the overlooked show in the HBO catalog. Uh, Six Feet Under is another one of those overlooked shows, but yeah, maybe I get Larry it. Sanders a little bit more even. Wow.
1: So Taylor, <laughs> if it came down to the show you had to binge for the rest yes. of this quarantine... What would it be after sitting through this whole thing? Because really, this is just brackets. Who cares what it ends up being? The main point we do this is to get shows on people's radar. We've added some to your radar. Between these two, which would you want to catch? Well, um, had you asked me before this bracket,
2: I would have said The Wire. Just because Uh that's been probably the most consistent show that's been second in my watch list. And then as soon as I'm done with something, I'll add something else above it. So The Wire is just... (laughs) Perpetually in second place. It's
1: like that for a lot of people.
2: Um, you guys made a really strong case for Larry Sanders. Um, but to call it the, the best HBO show, mm. uh, my only perspective here is from what I've seen as a third party in pop cultural discussions. <laughs> so I guess I'd hand it to The Wire just because from my perspective that seems to have been a lot more influential, even if they're different genres and uh, Mm -hmm. the implicit influence of Larry Sanders might (laughs) prevail to some. I'm surprised Larry Sanders made it
1: this far.
0: (laughs) Same. I was expecting it to get eliminated against Watchmen, so I'm just happy.
1: I'm surprised that you and I, you know, I I think because we just knew of the show, and that's the craziest part when it comes to a lot of these. It's like if something Mm -hmm. isn't given, you know, the attention to it, We don't even know if it slips under the cracks and ends up becoming something that's as influential as it. That said, when you aim at the king, you got to go for the head, Zach. (laughs) And there's no better show. There is no other show uh, that gets brought up more. It's like when you're talking about top five rappers and you see the same people get brought up, that even if you don't agree with one of the five, cool. For the rest of your life, you will see them be brought up. The Wire will be brought up in every discussion dealing with the best of TV. It's even plagued some other AMC shows that cannot be mentioned without a Wire fan coming in. Uh, some people don't even know that they use GIFs from this thing to a ridiculous degree. It has one of the most popular ones. The guy that goes, people don't even realize that's from The Wire is, uh, Idris Alba kills it in his performances. Uh, just everything dealing with The Wire, I think, um, once people move it from their number two spot to the currently watching, uh, I feel like it's it, it doesn't disappoint, um, be it how people feel about the ending, it's one of the most standout pieces of television that I think if we're talking cross-platforms is up there with Breaking Bad, is up there with HBO's The Sopranos, Mad Men, all of these great shows, that's where I would put the wire and Absolutely. it's the reason why I would believe in this bracket has earned the spot of being the best.
0: All right, so that's about it for our topic of the week and the best HBO show bracket. What what won your HBO bracket? What is the best HBO show? We want to know your opinion. Let us know in the comments Have down you below, seen Larry or Sanders? by shooting us an email, or by hitting us up on social media. Whatever your platform, it's at InterCut Pod. We are going to go to our final segment. It's the new to see where we give you our picks for the week. What you should be watching at home. Art. What are you recommending?
1: Well, for my uh, streaming and then VOD, because we don't have theatrical stuff, I have Bad Education, which is actually uh, one that we were able to do an interview for. We rarely do any interviews, uh, but when we get the chance to do so, it's for something that we like. In this fact, loved. It's on HBO, Bad Education. I was worried that this had some of the best performances of the year and wasn't going to be eligible for an Oscar. (laughs)
0: Now All that's is. changed.
1: Yo, uh, Bad Education. We just finished the HBO bracket. Uh, it's known for TV, and now it's being known for movies. There's, uh, between this and The Tale, it's been a huge gap in between, but uh, one of the best movies, one of my favorite movies of the year, Bad Education, uh, and another one that I would recommend, it's weird, but it's VOD for To The Stars, with a little asterisk on, Zach knows a particular version that isn't available in VOD because when we caught this at Sundance, it was in black and white. So if you're going to release it in VOD, why add color and change the director's intention? Zach, I don't know.
0: Zach, the Samuel Goldwyn films picked up to the stars out of Sundance. And I believe one of the conditions they had, because we heard the director speaking Mm -hmm. about how hard it was to sell a black and white movie was that they get to release this movie in color, which gives you this very weird thing of a film that was shot to be on black and white. That then gets color graded in this kind of odd way. If you look, if you just watch the colored version in the trailer, it it just sort of looks a little bit off. Uh, but it's beautifully shot in black and white. And if mm-hmm. you go to, uh, I think it's Alamo Drafthouse Westchester's website, you can pay to watch the virtual theater version in black and white. Uh, so seek that can out. We, yeah, we'll weird loophole, but
1: below. if you're gonna watch oh, it, I'd color. recommend. Yeah.
2: But did they shoot it in color and then make it black and white? I like, believe so. So it's not like they had to recolor shot black and white footage. I don't
1: no, think so.
0: All... Lit for black and white. It's and lit and
1: for black and white, which we know the importance of it because we were. I think we have the Q and A recorded, uh, and she had mentioned that she had brought it up even since before then that they had to have a ver- they had to had they had to have a version of it that was colored to sell it, uh, and sadly, they 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 chose that to be it. Yeah. The, yeah, I don't know.
0: Uh, Taylor, how about you? What would well, you recommend people check out?
2: Unfortunately, I think the only twenty twenty movies I've seen so far were Sonic and Harley Quinn. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
1: so, <sounds> <laughs> all recommendations are valid.
2: <laughs> so I am gonna I am gonna cheat a little and recommend Deerskin. Awesome! No, that's perfect. Um, because yeah, I was I was quite impressed by it, considering my relationship with Rubber from how many <laughs> years ago.
0: Yeah. Uh, Another movie that's out in virtual theaters, that's something we haven't talked about a lot on the show, but it's uh, a great way to support some of your local movie theaters and uh, movie theaters that haven't been able to be open recently, so Mm -hmm. uh, definitely seek out Deerskin. I I would second that recommendation as well. Uh, My picks for the week... Our, uh Run, which is currently airing on HBO. Uh, it's okay. a limited series that's written by Vicki Jones, who did some writing on Fleabag and even directed the stage play version of Fleabag. So uh, there's a sharpness to the dialogue. In fact, it's very like one of my favorite scripts so far this year in television. Just okay. the opening. If you watch the opening of the show and imagine uh, what it must have been like on the page. It's got such a gripping first few minutes, uh, and it plays out a little bit like a play. Uh, so so far, I'm enjoying the dynamic between Merritt Weaver and Donald Gleason on there. Uh, also, another movie that's in theaters, one that we caught two Sundances ago, The Infiltrators. It's an m- interesting mix of documentary and narrative, sort of along the lines of American Animals, a movie that came out I think, mm. two years ago now, uh, where you get... Sort of some of this documentary footage of uh, this group that's working on behalf of uh, immigrants that have been uh, detained to try and free them. And it in order to show you what the li- what it's like behind bars, they recreate that using some narrative elements. Uh, it's an interesting movie. And if you're interested in the subject, I, I think you'll be able to get past some of the, the shaky acting and, and maybe not so... Uh, believable acting mm-hmm. from cer- certain people, but it's a, a cool, cool idea, and I I'd like to. I liked some of the execution of it. Mm-hmm. And lastly, uh, maybe the best of them all is the Assistant, which is going to be out now hey. on Hulu as well as VOD. Uh, our girl uh, Julia Garner from Ozark, as we were mentioning earlier, uh, she she gets the starring role here in this sort of uh, Me Too inspired movie, and something that's really it's really well done in the way that it sort of implicates everybody in this situation so I'd highly recommend you check that one out too
1: dope, sounds good
0: Yeah, Uh, but that's about all for this week's show you can catch more from me, Zach Shevich by following me on Twitter, Instagram or Letterboxd at Zshevich, that's Z-S-H-E-V as in Silicon Valley I-C-H and then uh, check out my YouTube channel at youtube.com slash multiplexshow Taylor, let people know where they can find more from you right so my
2: youtube channel is my name taylor j williams <laughs> i just uploaded a new video after like four months yesterday very excited about that it's um, a good one i'll be i'll be po- oh thank you be posting more frequently in the future and my instagram is at taylor underscore j underscore williams and my twitter is at taylor Film guy as is my letterboxed. very cool nope. very cool
0: art
1: You can find me on the A to Z show, I love me, and all that other good stuff on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, or every week here on the Intercut Podcast.
0: You can listen to every episode of the Intercut Podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher, I like Overcast. And then make sure you're subscribed not just to the audio podcast, but to the video feed as well on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash intercutpod, where you can catch our bright, smiling faces as we break down the latest in entertainment find new episodes of intercut every friday and please leave us a comment like the video consider heading over to itunes to give us a five-star review and uh shout out to those of you that have it's really really appreciated like our facebook instagram and twitter pages all of them are at intercut pod to get updates throughout the week from art from me from all of our guests here including taylor thanks again for tuning in and until next time What's a better way to repair a friendship than by doing drugs together?